Welcome to the 1254 Podcast. My name is David. Uh, thank you for joining me. This is going to be the inaugural uh, episode of 2022. My apologies for the delay. And thank you for being with me at this time. To- today's episode is about wrongful convictions. I have taking my time to write out about it because I was watching something and this came up. And so I decided to, uh, you know, uh, do research and write something about it. So here we go. No mob has any sand in the presence of a man known to be splendidly brave, wrote Mark Twain. There comes a time when we must examine the true nature, the true measure of what makes us who we are in both our minds and souls. On that note, we must remember that the mind always plays what the heart cannot delete. And like a perfunctory handshake, our mind should give us an aura of culture and distinction in matters of justice, peace, and liberty. And so with that in mind, let's dig deeper and explore the nature and travails of our justice system. Meanwhile, this is neither a hypothesis or a conjecture into the anatomy of the crime. It is a way for us to explore the intrigues and the happenings around a criminal conviction in a court of law and of all the players involved in this process. One has to take into account that as a person who's been accused of a crime, if you have the facts on your side, then pound on the facts. If you have the law on your side, then pound on the law. But if you have neither the facts nor the law on your side, then you should pound on the table. Speaking within the confines of one who resides in the proverbial land of the free and home of the brave, we have the perception and assumption of one's innocence until proven guilty, either by the court of law or by a jury of one's peers, when one is charged with and prosecuted for a crime. These words ring true in the halls of justices and jury boxes that are decorated with juries, the witnesses, the accused, the defense, and the prosecution teams, and a judge who's been assigned to either preside over the said case or to adjudicate it. Meanwhile, the Declaration of Independence guarantees that all men and women are created equal. Past litigation issues and cases of people from all walks of life who have been denied this very right by this very justice system have proven that the phrase to be a means of to justify the end and in some cases where the outcome of a particular trial may have been already predetermined even before the trial had started moot. It goes without saying that when a crime was being committed there must be some form of punishment handed out to the ones who've been convicted beyond a reasonable doubt of the said crime. What legal scholars are debating are the draconian sentencing guidelines in some state and federal cases that have called for long prison sentences for minor offenses, and in some cases, a punishment of life without parole based on the mitigating factors of one's case, and in other instances, the death penalty is meted out. One must not advocate for lenient sentences in cases of heinous crimes, 
but it begs to question the methodology that some justices use to administer these cases, I mean these sentences in some of these cases that are deemed questionable. So at this juncture, we must investigate the anatomy of a crime and what comes of it when it comes to prosecution. Whenever a crime is committed, the forensics team is tasked with the delicate process of collecting, documenting, and presentation of the medical or other forms of evidence to determine the crime and manner of death of the victim, or in cases where death is not involved, is says to describe the manner in which harm was administered to the victim. This evidence is also used by both the defense and the prosecuting teams to determine the guilt or innocence of the accused. The artistry behind forensics brings law, medicine, and science to a confluence. So let's take a look at the uh, different players involved. We do have the victim, the alleged perpetrator of the crime, the witnesses, the first responders, from police dispatches to the police detectives and medical team, crime scene technicians and medical examiners, and the cleaning crews. It is at this juncture that we must delve into both the artistry and the very nature of collecting evidence from a crime scene. What is stress evidence? Think of doing something in the digital and physical realms of life today, and I'll show you three to five different ways of collecting evidence to prove you indeed participated in that event. Trace evidence is created by the transfer of materials from one medium to another during the commission of a crime. These transfer of materials may be due to friction between the two objects or through heat transfer between these objects. The forensics team is trained to look for both uh, to look for, collect, document, and analyze, and securely store the evidence for further analysis and to, president it to, and to present it to court at trial as material evidence. Trace evidence is just the materials that are used to explain the existence or non-existence of a crime. Now, before the advent and use of DNA evidence in the American judicial systems, for instance, prosecution teams depended on eyewitness accounts, blood spatter, and other type of uh, blood-related medical evidence to prove one's guilt or innocence of, of the commission of a crime. It didn't fall on deaf ears as some eyewitness testimonies were real with mistakes to the point that they will be considered that, as evidence of wrongdoing on the prosecution's part in the exoneration cases. Some studies suggest that eyewitness testimonies account for 54% of wrongful conviction, conviction cases in America today. Most juries arrive at convictions only after hearing a broad spectrum of evidence presented against a defendant. However, researchers from Ohio State University have concluded that police and some pros prosecutors more often than not without witnesses who express doubts in their decisions to identify someone by use of their eyewitness accounts and testimonies. But these factors alone do not satisfy the reason as to why many eyewitness accounts tend to be wrong. Some of the reasons that may play into wrongly identifying someone to have participated in a crime may be due to coercion, fear of 
flight or fright, intentionally lying to the police, and of course witness intimidation. One key factor that plays a role in wrong eyewitness accounts of crimes is the passage of time that allows for memories of certain elements of crimes to fade in our minds. Researchers have explained how neurons in our brains form connections and store information. These neurons go through growth periods and arrange information in our brains at a place called the limbic system. This system is tasked with removing old and outdated information and adding new pieces of information to our memory banks. In essence, each time we recollect pieces of information from our memories, chances are that some part of this information may have already been erased in the limbic, by the limbic system and replaced by new pieces of information that our minds now think are more relevant to that event that transpired in the not-so-distant past. It is due to this factor that most eyewitness accounts in cases that take too long of a time to bring to prosecution cast an impetus of errors in our collective memory banks. Meanwhile, eyewitness accounts have their share of mistakes. It is important to note that they are more powerful and useful tools of investigation than one might think otherwise of them. Sometimes eyewitness testimonies may be the only evidence available in a case. Now, right? So we need to look at different ways of eliminating uh, errors in eyewitness testimonies. And this can be done in three ways according to earlier times. Number one is by being open to the eyewitness and informing them that they may or may not be looking at a picture of the suspect that they are being told to identify. Number two, having the exercise conducted by someone who doesn't know the accused person, who the accused person is, so as to prevent them from influencing their decision-making process. Number three is by making sure that all the participants of a lineup have the same physical characteristics that closely resemble each other and that of the accused. Meanwhile, eyewitness testimonies are important prosecution tools in our justice system. We must ensure that they work correctly for the purpose that they're set out to do. It is easy to discredit eyewitness testimony in, in court by presenting evidence that may be contrary to what is being testified to. For we must remember not to sacrifice certainty in the name of speed and fairness on account of vengeance. <clears throat> they say that loneliness gives a man enough time to think things through And like a small promontory between a river and the hinterland, there are issues with police interrogations and witness intimidation that have permeated our courtrooms today. Never have we seen so many cases of exonerations that have arisen from mistakes of omission and admission and that have a direct correlation to these police interrogations. Meanwhile, every accused person has their Miranda rights read to them but not many people know the implications of not standing behind these rights. As it evidenced in cases of police interrogation and interrogators using bits and pieces of information to wrestle confessions with vestiges of half-truths from those who reside on that unfortunate side of the law, we must examine the implications of one not living within the confines of their Miranda rights. 
These rights guarantees one's silence on account of self-incrimination should they decide to say anything pertaining to the reason they have been arrested or detained for. At any rate, anything they say can and will be used against them in a court of law. It has been said in different quarters that asking for a lawyer may predispose one's innocence and creates an illusion of their trying to hide something. In many instances, this is the best thing to do for one's sanity and peace of mind while undergoing the undue stress and pressure from a police interrogation. At times our cultural norms bequeath us an affinity for instant gravita uh, gratification of a rationale that may be quite ambiguous or separate from the norms. It is indeed true that the few of us who embark on a journey destined for the kingdom of truth ever reach our destinations. It is vital that we understand the underpinnings of the issues that separate us as a culture and as a people. Not all of us share in the sense of every word when it comes to crime, justice, and punishment, but there has to be a tipping point where any, if anything goes wrong, it triggers the same feelings of injustice and undue burden of separating us, uh, oneself from the injustices that may be administered to them. Now, this point being drives home yet another point, the acronyms EDPA, A-E-D-P-A, the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996. According to Cornell Law School, the writ of habeas corpus is used to bring a prisoner or other detainee, like an institutionalized mental prisoner or patient, before the court to determine if the, patient, uh, the person's imprisonment or detainment is lawful. The writ can also be used as a civil action against a state agent who holds the defendant in custody, and it can also be used to examine any extradition process that may have been in play, the amount of bail awarded, if any, and the jurisdiction of the court in any case. Adpress substantially and in many cases more effectively narrows down the grounds on which successful habeas claims can be made, allowing for them to succeed uh, hold on. They only succeed only when the conventions were contrary to the clearly established federal law or an unreasonable determination of the facts in light of the evidence. It's clearly evident from the excerpts that are pulled from the Cornell Law School's website. Congress did pass this act in 1996 as a way to challenge the very writ that exists only for the purpose of examining the way in which the convicted can challenge their convictions on historical counts of ineffective counsel or their cases being illegally disposed of in courts using evidence that may have otherwise been inadmissible in court. At any rate, we, not, we may not be able to dot every I and cross every T, but we have the ability to play a small part in righting the many wrongs that have been that we see in our societies today. 
We may not have the ability to sway any jury to think outside the box while determining the innocence or guilt in the many cases that they handle, but we have the ability to clean their conscience and to help them to make the right decision based on the correct information that is presented to them. Now, what proportion of the populace is affected by unfair and unlawful incarcerations and convictions? According to the LA Times, the Criminal Legal News, and DeathPenalty.org, between 2 and 10% of convicted individuals in the USA are deemed innocent in 2019. Over 2,400 people have been exonerated in the USA since 1989, and since the same year, 375 convictions were found to be innocent due to DNA testing. 165 actual perpetrators were identified in the 375 DNA cases, exoneration cases. The 143 people exonerated uh, in 2009 spent a combination of uh, a record of 1,908 years in prison, with half of them having been convicted of homicide. 69% of wrongful conviction in cases included eyewitness in misidentification. Around 18% of the identification errors involved the inability to identify the individual in at least one procedure, with over half of these erroneous identification, 54%, they are classified as in-court misidentification. Another 29% pertain to the uh, other procedures, such as victims accidentally recognizing their abusers on the street and bringing the attention of the police. The average number of years of a crime one didn't commit, that they served for a crime they didn't commit, is 14. In 75% of false conviction cases, the real perpetrator is found later. Around 22% of one of four people, 104 people who were falsely confessed to have uh, exculpatory DNA evidence overlooked, even if available at the time of the trial. Wrongful conviction statistics also show false accusations are present in 75% of wrongful convictions. With withholding exculpatory evidence was present in 75% of wrongful conviction. Up to 80% of innocent exonerees in groups in group cases pleaded guilty. Misdemeanors are the most common category of wrong group convictions with countless innocent convictions, wrongfully convicted statistics reveal. Now, what are the demographics? According to uh, Lego News, black people make 38% of the prison population, of the population in the USA, but they make up around half of the population of the wrongful convicted and exonerated prisoners. Up to 90% group exonerations has people of color as defendants wrongfully accused and convicted and they make up to 26.6% of misdemeanor arrests. Wrongful conviction statistics show that up to 54.7% of non-crime-related drag exonerations involve people of color as exonerees. Whites are majority in alleged non-crime-related sexual assault exonerations at 55.4%. Murder exonerations at 71.7% and sex abuse of children exonerations of 68.9%. Only 5% of exonerees are women, but 20% of alleged non-crime related exonerations involve female convicts. 
only 15% of alleged murders by people of color involve white victims, yet 31% of people of color exoneries were convicted of killing a white person. Only 15% of murders by people of color involve white victims, yet 31% of people of color exoneries are convicted of killing a white person. Two thousands of death row execution happen in punitive culture states in the South. Harsher law policies often see more racially driven convictions, which leads to more wrongful conviction. Fortunately, it's also led to more exonerations in recent years. Up to 75% of death row exonerations happen in the South. People of color spend three years more on average waiting for exoneration than white convicts. The racial divide is visible even in the time that one has to wait to be exonerated. For innocent people of color con convicted of murder, they didn't commit. The average wait time is 14.2 years, while white people convicted of the same crime, they get to wait for only 11.2 years. The situation is similar on death row. Wrongful conviction statistics show people of color spend an average of 16 years waiting for exoneration, while white people spend 12 years uh, on death row for the same reason. When it comes to sexual assault, people of color spend 13.3 years in prison, while white men spend 8.9 years on average. Now, we're going to just check. We're coming to the end, and we are checking out the exonerations by states. California witnessed seven exonerations in 2019. According to the National Registry of Exonerations Annual Report, 2019, 143 people are exonerated in the United States. As many as 34 states are exonerations, and these states have the highest exoneration state rates. Illinois had 30 individuals were exonerated. Texas saw 15 exonerations. New York had 11 exonerations. Um, and of course, California. Florida has six people that are exonerated in 2019. And also Maryland. At least 18 individuals were executed in the United States since 1989 has strong evidence of innocence. Currently, 33 states and federal government compensate for wrongful convictions in some way. 17 states, however, do not offer any com compensation. These states are Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Delaware, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Nevada, New Mexico, North Dakota, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, and Wyoming. So far, 268 exonerees have been compensated for the time they spent behind bars. Around the world, there are cases of 32 exonerations um, that have occurred due to wrongful convictions. For every 10 countries that don't carry out the death penalty anymore, one does. Five countries that, count, uh, that carry out the majority of the executions are Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, China, and the US. 
The number of countries using the death penalty has been reduced by half since 1995, uh, when 41 countries still carried out the capital punishment. In 2014, the number was only 22. A total of six, uh, 607 legal executions were carried out in 200, and, I mean 2013, excluding China, which the number is uh, a state secret. The countries with the most ex incarcerated people in the world are the United States, China, Brazil, and Russia, prisoner facts revealed. So these four countries are more likely to have the most people, most innocent people convicted and imprisoned of crimes they did not commit. Now we do have the Innocence Project. The Innocence Project was founded in 1992 by Barry C. Shack and Peter J. Newfeld at the Benjamin C. Cardozo School of Law at Yeshiva University, according to their website. They work, for, they work to free the innocent, prevent wrongful convictions, and create fair, compassionate, and equitable systems of justice for everyone. These organizations are different chapters in various cities and states all over the United States. And they work in the following area, exonerations. They use DNA evidence in post-conviction cases to exonerate people who have been wrongfully convicted. They work with the legal system in cases that resulted in wrongful convictions to prevent future instances of the same issues permeating our jails and prisons. And in the area of reform, they work to pass laws and implement policies to prevent wrongful convictions. They support exonerees to rebuild their lives after they have been released from jails or prisons. They educate and provide resources to other organizations that are in the business of ending wrongful convictions. The topic of wrongful convictions is vast and very controversial. I do realize that in as many as there are people who have the same views as mine, there are others who will and may oppose my views. And so the door is always open to more interpretation. The discussion around the midnight fire at the campsite should always be allowed to continue so long as we play our part in making things right, regardless of what side of the divide we do reside in.